And that is it for announcements. Amen? All right, let's get to the word of the Lord this morning. We are at Meadowbrook Church helping people take their next steps with Jesus. That is our mission statement. You have a walk with Jesus that you need to own to a large extent. We can't do it for you, but we are here to help you in it. And so we are here to come alongside, to cheer you on, to provide structure, to provide teaching, to do everything we can to prayerfully support you in this journey. You need to step into that journey on your own. We are here to help you. And at the same time, as you have your own walk with the Lord, we also recognize we are walking with Jesus together at the same time. We are part of a community. We are journeying forward with Jesus together, and we are here to help one another to do that. And we have taken some time this fall to unpack. We are looking at that upwardly, inwardly, and outwardly. What are our next steps? Upward, inward, and outward. Upward in our relationship with him. How are we connecting with him, learning in him, growing in him? Inwardly, how are we being transformed? How is he doing his work in us as we connect with him? And we are being made into people who look more and more like Jesus. And then outwardly, how is that being expressed towards other people? Our church family, our brothers and sisters, our immediate family, and then well beyond that to the lost, to even our enemies, everywhere where Jesus constantly was looking outside of himself to other people. We are wanting to follow his example in that way. There is an old saying, it gets attributed uh, in a general way on social media memes as an African proverb. I'm not able to determine if that's true or not, or who actually said it, or what part of Africa, or anything like that. But you've probably heard the saying before, it goes like this, If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And so in our individualism, and we're a very individualistic culture, we tend to pride individualism. We like movies about the lone hero, right, who takes down all the bad guys single-handedly. We tend to value people who on their own have kind of climbed the ladder of success and become wealthy or become famous or whatever the case may be. And, and when we do things by ourselves, it does tend to be faster We do tend to, you know, you don't have to win people over. You don't have to get a team together. You don't have to wrestle through all those things. You can get pretty far on your own. You can get there pretty quickly, but it doesn't translate into long-term success. It, It can't. Even the people who look like they are self-made on their own, they're not actually doing it on their own. They have had a ton of help along the way to get them there. So if we want to be in this for the the distance, if we want to be in this for the long term, this journey of life, we're going to need help along the way. And that's actually exactly what scripture tells us is that we were meant to be in a community. From the very, very beginning, God creates everything. He creates Adam. And as he sees Adam, what does he say to him? It is not good for man to be alone. You actually can't do this by yourself. And I mean, in that story, uh, it's a, a picture of marriage, obviously. But beyond just marriage, we are meant to be in families. We are meant to be in a community. We are meant to do this together. We are not meant to do this alone. And when I start talking about community, and especially as it relates to church and what it means to be in a church community, sometimes people's eyes start to glaze over, like some of you right now are, because you're bracing for... Oh, we're going to have to do more stuff. 
right? We're being, we're being told we got to get involved in more stuff. And that's really not my point today, because the thing that comes up whenever we start talking about things like this is the question of time. I don't have time. I'm, I'm busy. I don't have time. And I'm not interested in this message, please hear me clearly, in piling more to-dos onto your list. That's not what this is about. Uh, This is about where are we connecting with the life-giving power of God? Where are we doing that together? And that is something that is actually worth making some time for. That's something that's worth making a priority. Where are we connecting with people, connecting with community in a life-giving way, in a refreshing way, in a helpful way, in a renewing way? Where is that happening in our lives? And yeah, we might need to make some time for that if it's not really there, but it's something that is worth making that time for. The payoff is humongous. So we are all given the same amount of time. The number one answer when I ask people, how was your week? I often ask that on a Sunday morning. Hey, how was your week? The number one answer times a bazillion is busy. That's the answer over and over and over again. How was your week? Busy. They don't even let me finish asking. It's just, it's out of their mouth. We're busy. We're also busy. And I get it because you know what? My life is busy. And we hit a a mode this year where just, oh, the kids are way more involved in extracurricular stuff, and and one kid is in kids' club, and another's in youth, so that's two nights out now instead of one, and and driving around, and and my schedule, and Sarah's schedule, and, and, you know, for the first year, we're really having to watch our schedules and make sure we're not double booking things, because we're busy, we're just so busy, it's just a busy, busy, busy life. And this is not a unique thought that no one on their deathbed is going to be, I'm glad I was so busy. I'm glad that's how I spent my life. We know this. This is not new. One of the fascinating things about the pandemic, especially in that first year, is we all got a lot less busy real fast, right? We weren't expecting it. We didn't like it necessarily. But all of a sudden, a lot of stuff was shutting down and being put on pause and being pushed back. So all of a sudden, we are nowhere near as busy. And almost everybody went, oh, it's kind of nice. This is actually kind of cool. And people said things to me like, you know, when the pandemic's over, I really want to hold on to some of these things. And then as soon as things lifted, we were like, busy again, back to the way we were, just jumping all into everything. And, and some people love being busy, and some people don't love being busy. Some people, there's an energy that gets stirred up for it, but, but we know when we're too busy. We know what that feels like. We know what that strain can be like. And when it comes to time, I mean, we all are given the exact same amount of time. It's a gift that comes to all of us exactly the same. And so with the hours we have in our week, about a third of that time we're spending sleeping, right? Less if you're me, because I don't sleep super good. But a third of your time is spent sleeping. About a third of our time is spent working, and, and work can look lots of different ways. And some people maybe work more. Some people maybe work less. But then there's that other third of time where we're not sleeping and we're not working, and that's the area that we have some freedom over. That's some area that we do have some control over. We, we got to work, obviously, and that takes that time, and we got to sleep, and that takes that time. But it's those other hours, what are we doing with those? Because that part is our choice. It's our choice where that goes. And you've heard me challenge you before, just with those hours where we have some freedom, where is Jesus fitting into that compared to the other things that we do? 
When I am marrying a couple, when a couple comes to me and we're going through premarital counseling, we'll spend a chunk of time talking about finances because often, not always, but often it's a young couple and they're, they're getting married and it's the first time they've done anything like this and they're merging their finances together and it's all just kind of new. And a lot of young couples, a lot of young people don't budget at all because it's just not something you think about when you're young. And I always say, start budgeting at the very least just so you can start to see where your money goes. Right, because it's really eye-opening when you start to go like, "Oh, I spent 192 dollars at Tim Hortons this month. I had no idea, right? Because it was four dollars here and three dollars there, and it just kind of disappears. And then all of a sudden, you see it on paper, and you're like, "Oh, wow, that's where my money went." And I'm going to challenge you today. At some point, take a look at the week, like at the end of the week. Take a look at the week you just lived, and budget. Where did your time go? Understanding that some of it has to go to work, some of it has to go to sleep. But with that, that time where you have some influence and freedom, where did that time go? Just where did it go? Because it's a very similar sort of exercise where you're like, wow, I spent 47 hours watching television. Wow, I had no idea. It was just, it was an hour here and six hours there, and then you just put it all together. Like, where does our time go? And where does Jesus fit into that? Again, not to try and make Jesus a chore, but to say, where are we connecting with him in a life-giving way? And as it relates to what we're talking about today, where does community fit into that? So it's not about chores. It's about connecting with him and understanding that this walk with Jesus involves us doing it together. We can't do it by ourselves. You cannot fulfill the spiritual journey with Jesus completely on your own. You just can't. You can do lots of Bible reading on your own, which is excellent. You can take in teaching on your own, which is wonderful. You can have prayer times on your own, worship times on your own. All of that is great and wonderful and important. You cannot experience the fullness of who Jesus is by yourself. You just, you can't. It's not possible. God has not given that to us. He has not designed it that way. And so we're going to look at our text. We're in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 42. And this is the beginning of the church. Acts chapter 2 is, starts on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the church, and this is where the church is beginning. And so we like it because it's just the purest and clearest picture of what church community was like at the very beginning. This is before denominations start rising up. This is before everyone's complaining about how busy they are. This is before we, we had a modern world with all of its distractions. This is in its purest form what church was like in the early days. And so there's just just a few verses here that give us a great snapshot. So Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start reading in verse 42. They, the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
So again, very simple, just a very simple picture, a few short verses that said, hey, at the very beginning, when the Holy Spirit was first poured out, this is what church looked like. This is what they were up to. And there are things in there that we've held on to really, really well. And there are some things in there that we're maybe not doing so well. And some things in there that might not necessarily be possible for us to do. But here's just a picture of what it was like when the church was at its, its infancy, when it was at its purest, when it was at its... It's most brand new when the Spirit had just started this new movement that was going to take the gospel to the world. This is what they were up to. And so it's just a helpful picture for us of the types of things that that we should be looking at as well in our own church community. There's a book, if you're looking for a book to read, called Life Together. I've borrowed the sermon title from it by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a German pastor in the time of World War II as Hitler was rising to power. And as Hitler rose to power, Hitler stood up and said, I am now the head of the church and all the churches will be under my authority, and you're going to have to kick out anyone who is not white Aryan, and we're going to change a lot of the rules and laws. And a bunch of churches said, okay, we will do all of those things. And Bonhoeffer and some others said, no, Jesus is the head of our church, and we're not kicking out anybody based on their racial identity. And and so there was a group that sort of pulled back and began to um, have to kind of figure out what is church then going to be, because they lost some of their freedom, and they lost some of their funding, and so they weren't able to be a church in the exact same way. So if you're looking for just an interesting read on the topic, Life Together by Bonhoeffer is kind of a a classic um, of of what it means and and what exactly the church is for and how do we uh, live this out because uh, one of the things that he was really getting at is it can't just be about Sunday morning service. It can't just be about that. That's crucial. But it can't just be about that because of all those hours we have in a week that we have some some waking hours and non-working hours, um, an hour and 15 minutes is what we spend together roughly on a Sunday morning, depending who's preaching and how long I'm going. Um, But an hour 15 is kind of what we're shooting for, and that is good. Sunday mornings are incredible. They're they're a wonderful booster shot. They're a wonderful refilling at the gas station. Like, that's where we come together, and we worship together, and we come under one teaching together. It's a great time. We get to see everybody and connect with everybody. We get to pool our gifts together in a way that you can't do on a Tuesday at 10 in the morning. And so we get to share the gifts, and there's a place for our kids to go, and a place for our junior highs to go, and a place for us to go that is powerful and important, but there's a whole lot of week left over at 11.15 when we wrap up here today. And, and so it's not just about Sunday morning. It's, it's crucial. And yet there is a lot of life that happens beyond Sunday morning. And so what does it look like as we walk with Jesus together beyond that? So we're just going to touch on, on this as we to go through our verses today. And, and again, just that picture of uh, we have a personal walk with Jesus and we have a community walk with Jesus. But even our personal walk with Jesus, we need other people around us as we do it. Paul would use a picture in first. Corinthians chapter 12 of the church is kind of like a body with all the different body parts. And so all the different body parts are like all the different believers. And so for those of you who are uh, here today, you are a part of the body. You're a body part. And and you are not the whole body yourself. And Paul uses the picture of the eye needs the hand and the foot needs the head. And all the different body parts are very distinct from one another and yet all united together at the same time. But the point of it as it relates to community is that you need the other body parts. Right? If a body is just feet, then you can do a lot of walking and literally nothing else. 
If a body is just hands, you can grab a lot of things, but you can't do any walking whatsoever. The body parts need one another. We all need one another. And as the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost, every believer is filled with the same Spirit, but every believer is gifted differently by the Spirit. And what that means is I need the Holy Spirit in you. And you need the Holy Spirit in me. And we all need the Holy Spirit in each other. And as we engage in the word and as we pray and as we encourage and as we hold each other accountable and as we walk this journey with Jesus together, we need it all. And we need to, the, to pool that all together so that as we learn about Jesus, as we learn about the word, you're going to see things in the word that I maybe don't know or don't understand. And I'll share things in the word that I see that maybe you need to know. And you're going to bring your gifts to the table, and I'm going to bring my gifts to the table. And you're going to bring your hope and faith and love to the table, and I'll bring my hope and faith and love to the table. And there's going to be times where you're in a rough spot, and I'm going to be there to support you. And there's times where I'm going to be in a rough spot, and you're going to be there to support me. And in all of it, We're cheering each other on and encouraging each other in the spiritual journey. We're helping each other out. We're going through the tough stuff together. And that's part of what makes life together so important is that as we celebrate the good of life together, the celebrations are sweeter because we're doing it together. And as we're going through the tough stuff of life, the sting of it is taken out because we are going through it together. We are supporting one another through it. And there's a time where we give and there's a time where we receive and we do it all together as we walk with Jesus together. So from the very beginning... Acts 2.42, the church is brand new. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So from the very beginning, there's scripture and teaching going on. From the very beginning, there is fellowship, just spending time together going on. From the very beginning, there's the breaking of bread, which uh, literally means communion. But in the early church, they didn't, celeb- they didn't separate communion from just having dinner together. They would just get together for regular meals. And as part of their meals, they would celebrate communion. They celebrated it a lot. And to prayer. So there's those, those key things going on right off the bat. There's, there's Bible study happening. There's hanging out together happening. There's the sharing of meals and communion happening. And there is prayer happening. And so all of these things do happen uh, in modern church. They do happen in, in our context for sure to various degrees. But it's just a helpful picture. So from the beginning, scripture was important. From the beginning, spending time together was important. From the beginning, the fellowship of communion and, and spending time at the table together was important. And praying together was important. And as we focus on our upward, inward outward peace. We see all of these things coming together in those verses, right? They are, they are praying and digging into God's word upwardly. Inwardly, he is doing his work and transforming them. And then outwardly, that is reaching out to the community. And there are things happening uh, as this happens, as the, the passage unfolds as well. So it's all connected through the community. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, verse 43. So everyone is amazed. God is up to amazing stuff. We actually do still believe in miracles at this church. We believe that God does work in this way. There are some streams of the church who believe that the miracles all stopped, and I've, I've wrestled that theology. I've been involved in those debates, and I just think that's a very weak biblical position. I think there is a, a very clear, strong position biblically that God is still at work in these ways. And so in the early church, uh, these signs and wonders are coming, and they're helping to confirm the gospel. They're helping to show that this message is real. They're helping to glorify the name of Jesus. 
And so in Acts chapter 2, as the church is meeting, this stuff is going on. And there's something about the community coming together that was involved in these things happening. Earlier in Acts 2, the Spirit is poured out on the church for the first time. And the first verse of Acts 2 is, everyone there was gathered together in one accord. The church was gathering together. The gathering is important. There is something about the gathering that was crucial to the Holy Spirit being poured out. Not that you can't experience them by yourself. I've had wonderful times in the Spirit on my own, and then at the same time had wonderful times in the Spirit on a Sunday morning. At the same time had wonderful times in the Spirit in somebody's living room. At the same time had wonderful times of the Holy Spirit having coffee with somebody. Uh, there's something about the connection point with others that the Spirit moves. And so they are amazed that there's things going on. The Spirit is moving miraculously. And we talked a bit a few minutes ago about as the Spirit is poured out on each individual person, there's something incredible that happens. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 11. Now to each one, each person, the manifestation or the gift of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits or discernment, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them, these gifts, to each one just as he determines." That's not the only list of Holy Spirit gifts in the New Testament, but it is one of the main ones. And again, this beautiful picture that the Spirit comes to each of us, gifts each of us differently, meant to be for the common good. And so some of the gifts here, as we've talked about, there's healing, there's miracles, there's prophecy, there's wisdom, there's knowledge, there's all sorts of things going on. Other passages talk about gifts of serving and gifts of administration. Like there's, there's a lot of different ways the Holy Spirit gifts us. But he gifts us to be a blessing to others in the common good, in the common community. Whatever he has gifted you with is not just for you. It is meant to be shared with others. And if you're not sure what your gifts are, that's a great thing to pray into. That's a great thing to start asking, Lord, show me. And there's things you can do online. There's spiritual gift tests and different things that can help you. If you're going through pathways, we'll actually walk you through a spiritual gift test to show you some of these things. And so there is a God-given gift inside you that he has given to be a blessing to other people. And the gifts of the Spirit come to bless the common good. The gifts of the Spirit come to glorify Jesus and to point to him. They come to encourage and to build up the body. We believe very much the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. And so as this is happening, verse 44 and 45, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, that first verse got Christians accused of being like communists when it all started. They didn't have that word back then, but it was the, they, there was something that pushed against that. And so from the very beginning, that the church had everything together, had everything in common. When there was a need, people were selling houses and selling land and putting money towards it. That was just happening. And does it sound like communism? It sure does. It sounds exactly like it. And you can just wrestle with that one on your own and figure out what that means. I'm not saying it's a great government model. I think history has proven that part. But in terms of how the church functioned at the beginning, which is not a government, there was something that said we all got to help one another out. 
We all have to do that. And it was just common practice. And I love reading in history. You see there's Greek and Roman uh, historians who are commenting on the Christians. And they saw Christians doing this and they thought they were crazy. They were like, these Christians, like someone has the plague and these Christians don't run away. They go right to where the plague is and they go and take care of that person. And then when there's a need, someone will sell their house and give their money to the person in their church who has that need. These people are insane. And we would just say, these people are like Jesus who gave everything for others, who laid his life down for others. These people are putting others before themselves. Here's one historian uh, named Lucian. And so he's very sarcastically talking about what he saw in the early church. So he's not a fan of Christians. He says, you see, these creatures start with the general conviction that they are immortal for all time, which explains their contempt of death and voluntary self-devotion, which are so common among them. And then it was impressed on them by their original lawgiver that they are all brothers from the moment they are converted. And they deny the gods of Greece and worship the crucified sage and live after his laws. All this they take quite on faith with the result that they despise all worldly goods alike, regarding them merely as common property. So he's like making fun of Christians in this. And we should be reading that and saying, right? I know, right? Amen, right? Of course. Right? Like he's making fun of them. They think they're brothers. And we're like, yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. That we are family here. This isn't a place you come on a Sunday morning. This isn't a service we provide. This is not a, uh, just a, an institution. This is meant to be a family of brothers and sisters. And yeah, we, we are not supposed to be afraid of death. We are supposed to be driven by a conviction that we, that we are living forever. And so that is supposed to drive things. And that is supposed to be something that is important to us. And we're supposed to be voluntarily self-devoted to the common good and to living this out and following after the teachings of, of Jesus and worshiping him as our Lord and living after his ways and taking it all on faith. We'd say, right, that's, you can make fun all you want, but that's kind of who we are. That's who we have been since the beginning. That these have been things that have marked the church. And so in terms of this picture of community, again, just here's an outsider saying sort of with some disdain, I can't believe that they don't care about their worldly stuff and they just kind of keep it all together and take care of one another in that way. And, and I don't know that we literally live that out to that extent, certainly in this day and age, but we certainly uh, are trying to live it out in the sense of as we give and as we take up you know, our Thanksgiving offering and we're supporting our missionaries and we're giving to the community meal, the understanding that our money is not actually our own. And that was the conviction of the early church, is that this money is, is ours and it's meant to be shared. And when there's a need, we want to rise up and meet that need. Our money is not our own. One of my favorite verses that speak to this is actually from Haggai, one of the minor prophets, Haggai 2.8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. I got my paycheck this week. No, 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 not your paycheck. God says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. And they were talking about rebuilding the temple. They were worried about how they were going to pay for it. And God shows up and says, hey, it's all mine. It's all, it's going to be fine. And it was, and it all worked out. So we, we talk about stewardship, that God entrusts us 
with time, as we mentioned earlier. God entrusts us with money, and what we do with that is, is up to us. He gives us that freedom, but we want to steward it in his ways. And so in our family, in our household, certainly that looks like things like tithing. We bring our first 10% to the Lord. It, it looks like supporting missionaries, supporting various things that are, are fighting poverty, things that are dealing with justice, and recognizing that our money is not our own. And so we, we take care of our family and we, we eat, um, but we also have budget lines that are very important to us of what we give away. And sometimes we look at our stuff and we go, oh, wow, I mean, that, how did that family afford that crazy vacation? And how did, that, how did they get that house? And how did they get that car? Those moments come from time to time. And then we go, well, look at our budget. Look at where our money's going. And then we say, you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with where that money is going. That's a good place to sow it. And as our kids have gotten older, we give them an allowance now. And as we give them their allowance, part of that is just teaching them to tithe. And just saying, so I give them their money every Saturday, and I say, hey, this belongs to Jesus, and this goes in your savings. The rest is yours to do with what you want. And, um, and what's exciting is my kids on their own are like, oh, we want to give some of our money to charity. We want to start to support Benedict, our, our kid that we sponsor uh, through the youth ministry. And so that's pretty impressive to me, that, that at a young age, they're kind of grabbing onto that. That makes me a pretty proud dad. And recognizing that trying to teach them from the youngest of ages that this isn't really yours, it's yours to steward. It all belongs to the Lord. We're entrusting you with it, and then you will steward that. And here's what we're trying to teach you about tithing. Here's what we're trying to teach you about charity and and those types of things. But ultimately, the recognition that the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord. He says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. It's all mine. The Lord says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to him. And so we are trying to steward it well according to how we understand the scriptures, what he is calling us to do here. And, and, and to be clear, we'll, we go on vacation sometimes and we do that stuff for sure. But it's recognizing that the overarching picture of our finances is that all of it is his and we are trying to steward that well. In the early church, they apparently thought nothing of doing whatever the equivalent was of selling off a car or selling off a property and giving it to somebody who was in need. That was apparently quite normal there. And so if we're not doing that, and I've never done that, to be clear, but if we're not doing that, then what does it look like to to live with a, a kingdom mentality towards our finances, recognizing that we are stewards, we are not actually in charge? Verse 46 and 47, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So there's joy happening in community. And there's joy that happens when I come into community. Not all the time, I guess. Um, But when we get together, even with things like last night, when we come together on Sunday mornings, when we get together, and sometimes, you know, you're having a tough conversation. Sometimes someone's going through a tough time wall-to-wall laughs. There was something that marked the where the joy of was there. And so this picture of church, again, every day they gathered for public worship. No, I'm just kidding. Every day they gathered in the temples. Every day they were gathering together. And, and yeah, I don't know how they structured their day or what that looked like. We're not pulling that off at this point. But just to say that was how much of a for them back then. Together publicly, we, during the many things were shaken. Um, it really kind of shook to be in church and to come to 
and online church and, and all that that entailed. But there was something in the church certainly where they said, okay, we, we're going to gather together and other. But obviously our gathering together. Again, the sharing of the sharing of gathering, it was really nice as, as you know, the first wave of lockdown lifted and we could come back together for the first time. Said to me things like, I didn't realize until we lost it for a bit. But to have it back after you so encouraging and eye-opening, there's just something, right? Like there's something. I'm blessed. I get to stand up here. I don't know. I don't have to, but I do. I stand here every Sunday morning. And there's sometimes, and I'll explain it if I'm back with the worship leaders. Well, you started this song, heard and felt in the back of the head as you all lifted your voices in worship. Like, I, I can feel it physically. This is rise. When God is do that on the screen at home. You can't hear the other voices. Marissa and the, Marissa and the team's passion. But they all gathered, and, and there was fellowship and there was the sharing of a meal. It doesn't say it explicitly or if anyone didn't have food, there was food for them, provided for them. And they would take communion together and there would be that, that solemnness in the moment. But they were really, they were sharing life together. Life together. Just in a, a public setting, but they were sharing life together. And no doubt there's spiritual conversations coming up at times. And, and, and I'm sure not all the time. I'm sure... They're talking about their kids and talking about work and talking about life and, and yeah, figuring out what it means to walk with Jesus in this world. They're wrestling through different. And so as we put, you know, uh, uh, an importance on Sunday mornings, the, the Sunday mornings is it's not the best place to go deep. Right? It's a great place to gather, to get refreshed, to get the greatest place spiritual conversation and it's just because we're sitting right and we're listening Sunday morning but it's sometimes that can get quite deep at the altar but a lot of what we're doing on a Sunday morning is a bit more surfacey right we're, we're coming together for the importance of worship but then we need a place in our lives separate from that where we can have the deep conversations and that can be a life group, that can be a cluster, that can be coffee with a friend, that can show up lots of different ways, that can be conversation around the dinner table, but we need a place in life where we can bring our questions, we need a place where we can bring our doubts or our concerns, we need a place where we can wrestle, we need a place where we can be spoken into, we need a place where we can speak into others. And Sunday mornings aren't the best avenue for that. We need somewhere where that can go deeper. And so certainly encourage you to be involved in a life group. And, and I mean, we have Meadowbrook life groups, but you can also just connect with friends if, if that's easier for you or, or small groups or, or one-on-one, like just to have places in your life where you can have that depth, you can have that encouragement, you can have a place to ask questions, you can have a place to talk about scripture, you can have a place to, to wrestle with things and, and have people who can encourage you and speak into your life, and you can speak into their life. And sometimes as well, I think it's just about, uh, they probably got together just to have a meal and just have some fun together and have a meal. 
and things like the games and apps night last night. Um, sometimes you don't need a super intense spiritual agenda. Sometimes laughing over appetizers is the spiritual agenda. Sometimes that's all we need, right? Because we just need people and we need connection. And last night we said grace. I think that was the main spiritual element of the night. Um, and some people's like fury and flesh rose up as they played euchre with each other. So we'll, we'll see where that all unfolds. But as we hung out together, again, no, no great spiritual agenda, no, no in-depth spiritual discussion. Uh, that's not what that night was for. And yet, out of last night, bonds got formed, and people met new people, and people connected in a deeper way, so that when it is time to have those spiritual discussions, when someone is going through a hard time, they now have more people that they can go to when they are going through. So sometimes the meal is it, and that's beautiful. That is, the breaking of bread together is enough. And so it doesn't always have to have a super deep spiritual agenda. Praise and worship is going on as this is happening. There's joy in the house and in the houses. They're praising God together, and they're enjoying the favor of all the people. That there, there is something about the unity. Like, everybody is getting along. There is something about joining together. And as we enter into any kind of community, whether it's a friendship, whether it's at school, whether it's at work, whether it's it's at church, uh, certainly whether it's marriage or anything, anytime we enter into a community together, there is a cost involved. And the reason there's a cost involved is because you're not the only person in that relationship. Whether it's a one-on-one thing or whether it's a group, you're not the only one there. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine once from a a different church, a different part of the province, and he was kind of complaining about his church and just saying, well, I don't agree with the pastor all the time on stuff. And I said, you shouldn't. Like, if you always agree with everything the pastor says, you might be in a cult, I hate to tell you. And part of a pastor's job is to to push you a little bit and to stretch you a little bit, and it should be challenging, and you shouldn't agree with everything I say. And if you ever disagree with something, I'm always happy to sit and have a conversation, and I'm under no illusions that I have everything all figured out by any means. Anytime I'm up here sharing with you guys, this is my prayerful best understanding, and it is not infallible. God's word is, I am not. And so I'm always happy to have that discussion. But I think sometimes people are a bit shocked sometimes when they're in a community, any community, that it doesn't always go their way or they don't always like everything. And again, the answer to that is you shouldn't because it's not all about you. You're not the only one in the room. You're not going to like everything in a community. You're not going to like everything that your partner does in a marriage. You're not going to like everything that your friends do. You're not going to like everything that your classmates do. That's part of it. And part of maturing is understanding it's not all about me, and we're going to agree to disagree on some stuff, and it's not always going to be my first choice, and it might not always go my way, but that doesn't matter because the thing that binds us together in whatever community we're in is more important than all of that stuff. And so we unite under the banner here that Jesus Christ is Lord at Meadowbrook Church. Meadowbrook Church is way down here compared to Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the banner that we are under, and that gets expressed lots of different ways. And yeah, we, we might not all agree on every single thing, but that banner that is there, that Jesus Christ is Lord, is more important than all of the other things. And we are walking after Jesus together in community. And so there is something about the way they were doing this in the early church, where just the, the favor was there, and unity was there, and people were excited. As that's happening, last verse, verse 47, second part. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
So just a couple of quick things there. Number one, it's the Lord who builds the church. It's the Lord who does the saving. We don't do that. It's our job to open our mouth. It's our job to share. It's our job to do our part. But the Lord is the one who builds his church. The Lord is the one who saves souls. Don't take pressure on yourself beyond that. If you're one going, my kids aren't walking with Jesus or my loved one isn't walking with Jesus, that's not actually your job to save that person. It's your job to share. It's his job to do the saving. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There was something about this level of community, this level of unity, where God was really at work and really able to be at work. And I would think, like, when you picture what that community must have been like and just the the level of unity they walked in, the level level of love they were sharing with one another, the level of sacrifice involved where I'm going to, like, sell my house and sell my car because you need some financial support like that level of love and self-sacrificial devotion, I would think separate from what Jesus is doing spiritually, that would just be a really appealing group to be a part of. There would be something about that that says, wow, this is warm and this is welcoming and this is supportive and this is encouraging. And as that is happening, as the people are gathering together under Jesus, Jesus works in this incredible way where it's not just about a group of people hanging out together and encouraging each other. Jesus is actually building his church and bringing people to Jesus through this community. That's the outward piece that we're always wanting to do better, is that where are people coming to know the Lord, and how are we helping them to know the Lord? Where are we pointing people towards Jesus? Let's come on up, worship team, as we get ready to wrap it up this morning. So as I said, here at Meadowbrook, we are helping people take their next steps with Jesus. We are here to help, and, and there are many ways in which he can help. And we are wanting to be taking our next steps upwardly in our walk with him, inwardly as he does his work in us and makes us more like him, and then outwardly as we are loving others, as we are serving others, as we are sacrificing for others, as we are sharing Jesus for others. So there are a few things we've mentioned today in terms of, uh, of what this looks like, and here's just a, a bit of a recap as you're thinking about, well, what might my next steps look like? And maybe you don't have any. Maybe you're like, you know what? I'm already in life-giving community. I'm already connected on Sunday. I'm already in a group or I have my spiritual friends that I can talk about things with. I've already got this going on. And if that's you, that's wonderful. And we bless you in that. And, and by all means, just make your next steps continuing to walk in that direction. But beyond that, here's just a few of the types of things that we're talking about. Uh, It will involve or can involve spending time with other believers, not just Bible time necessarily or prayer time, but sometimes just time. Uh, Joining with others for scripture. Specifically, I want to go deeper in the word with somebody. As simple as sharing a meal together or partaking of communion together. Praying with other people, sharing generously, living sacrificially, joining in public worship, meeting in each other's homes engaging in worship with others, and surely things beyond that as well. And again, I'm not giving you any of those things to say, here's a chore that I'm adding to your busy life. That's not the heart behind this at all. We may need to make room for some of these things, but the attitude is not, I'm doing it because I should or because I feel like I have to. The attitude is, I need more of Jesus I need more of the Holy Spirit. I need more of that. And I can't do that entirely by myself. I just can't. So in terms of seeking more of him, what does that look like in terms of taking a next step towards community? And and maybe it's just as simple as starting off with, 
I lost my Sunday mornings in the midst of the pandemic, and I'm going to start there. I'm just going to start reconnecting there. Or maybe it's I'm pretty connected there, but I don't ever do anything outside of that. I need to make it a priority to connect with someone in my life regularly for coffee, and we're going to talk about Jesus together. Maybe it's getting into a life group. Again, there's there's practical things along those lines, and I, I'm not going to tell you what it is for you because that's between you and the Holy Spirit. But the encouragement as you're thinking about what are your next steps is, Uh, Where is a place that I can connect with the life of God through my brothers and sisters? Where is a place that I can have that happen and and bring my questions and bring my concerns and and bring my wrestling and, and get encouraged and get filled with faith and get filled with hope and get filled with love? And where can I be that support to someone else? And where can someone else be that support to me? What will that look like? And if there, if there is something practical in terms of like Meadowbrook programs, you can go to the hub and someone there would be happy to answer your questions there. It doesn't have to be a formal Meadowbrook thing, but we all need community in our lives. And part of that is just as we draw closer to Jesus together in prayer and in worship. And so we close today as we always do with prayer and with worship. And so as you reflect on next steps, we're going to spend a bit more time in worship together. Would you stand with me, please, as we do? And as we join our voices together as one, as we join our hearts together in faith, as we raise up our song to the Lord together and worship him for who he is.